If you saw the note that I sent to Joel concerning this morning's service, you would have seen, and I know you haven't seen it, so I'm telling you, you would have seen it said various texts. No particular single text is going to be the basis of this sermon. I did give Joel a title. The title is What the Bible Says About 2022. After all, it's the 2nd of January. We're starting the year. There's still a few people away on holidays, etc. And I sort of thought, okay, let's, uh, let's not get back into our um, verse by verse, chapter by chapter expositions until pretty much everyone is back. And so I sort of thought, okay, let's do something that fits the occasion. Let's do something that fits the moment. Does the Bible say anything about 2022? And the answer is yes, it certainly does. It also said something about 2021. And should the Lord give us 2023? It says something about 2023 and every other year of human history. It certainly says things about these years. It's interesting times in which we live. I I believe that it's an ancient Chinese curse. May you be cursed to live in interesting times. We live in interesting times. We live in a nation that would seem to be under a thick blanket of darkness, a thick blanket of self-induced delusion. People have chosen to be enslaved to their sins and ultimately When people choose to be enslaved to their sins, when a nation chooses to be enslaved to its sins, a nation becomes enslaved to its own rulers. If slavery is in the heart of the vast majority of our people, what else can elected representatives of people whose hearts are sold out to slavery do other than manifest slavery? You know what I'm talking about. We have governments ruling in a way that they have never ruled before in Australia, both state and federal. There are things being done that are not within the constitutional framework of our nation. People have taken authority unto themselves that they do not have. And the way I like to describe it is that we are being governed by people, particularly Bureaucrats who supposedly have expertise and technical knowledge in certain areas, we are being governed by them in almost exactly the same way that a farmer would look at beef cattle on a feedlot. The farmer concerning beef cattle on a feedlot is interested in total control. Total control over those cattle. He wants to achieve a certain outcome as quickly and as profitably as possible. Those cattle are nothing other than numbers and he has inputs and those inputs are calculated often down to the last cent and he expects a certain output and he moves them from place to place wheresoever he desires them to be. One field, another field, one feedlot, another feedlot and in the end, He really is not that concerned about them as individual beasts. Well, we're being ruled by people who look upon humanity in that way at the moment. They feel that their supposed technical expertise qualifies them to make decisions on behalf of others. That their technical expertise allows them to tell everybody what is best for them. And they would claim that they are doing the greatest good for the greatest possible number of people. I think some of them are actually silly enough to believe that. And they actually believe that they are doing righteous things. They actually believe they're doing the right thing. And I think that others of them are actually very manipulative and are doing wicked things, and they know that they're doing wicked things. They've got another scheme. There's, a, there's an agenda behind the agenda. Am I a conspiracy theorist? In a way. In a way. In what way? Well, let's have a look at the first bit of Scripture and look at something. Turn to Psalm 2 and look at the opening couple of verses. 
Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot, conspire, plan? Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. There it is. There's always some kind of background agenda being run. There's always some kind of evil, rebellious leadership somewhere in the world planning to, as it were, break free from what they would tell you is the slavery and bondage of ancient religion. They would claim that what we're doing here today is something that goes back into the ancient past where people were primitive and simple and were scared of bolts of lightning and cracks of thunder and they needed some kind of higher being to give them the comfort. They didn't have the scientific knowledge we have. They would claim, therefore, that uh, we are fools and that we are spreading foolishness and we are holding back the progress of society. And so they plot in vain. They set themselves. They take counsel together. Come back to our nation. I do honestly believe that within our nation there are those who have plotted and taken counsel. And there are others who simply believe whatever they're told to believe and they think that in believing whatever they're told to believe, they're doing what is right and they are what the scripture calls deceived and deceiving. If you're wondering, is there any hope for this nation? The answer is there's always hope for this nation. God is gracious. God is gracious. Are we under the judgment of God? If you're asking me, my personal opinion, according to the scriptures, according to my understanding of the big picture of scriptures, Australia is under the judgment of God. The people are under a strong delusion. God has blinded their eyes because they refused to believe the truth. God is also gracious, showing steadfast love to thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sins. So there's always hope. You see, the reign and the rule of our Lord Jesus Christ is so all-encompassing, so glorious, so wonderful, that even those unbelieving fools who expend their energy against him, who think that they are fighting against him, who think that they are, as it were, detracting from his glory, are being used by him to accomplish his means. Even the fools who hate him, who hate the church, who hate us, they're being used by Jesus to accomplish his means. So what does the Bible say to us about 2022? Well, I've, I could come up with, I mean, I could come up with enough to go all day, but you don't want to sit here all day and neither do I. I've come up with five points. I've come up with five. What does the Bible say to us about 2022? There are so many more that we could come up with. And what I want you to see is that although as you look at the world around about us. And although as you look at the stream of propaganda that if you dare to open up any kind of mainstream electronic media is going to be jammed down your throat, there is reason for you and I to be optimistic, to be hopeful, to be joyful and to rejoice in the goodness of God. So point one. The reign of King Jesus will continue throughout 2022. The reign of our King and Saviour continues throughout 2022. He rules, he reigns, he is ascended on high, he is seated at the right hand of the Father. He runs our nation, by the way, he runs every other nation, and as I've already said, those who are wicked and hate him and do not think that they serve him, they actually do. There would be nothing more frustrating in all of creation than to be the devil himself. Why? Because there is nothing he can do, absolutely nothing he can do that is outside the ordained will of God 
He would love if he could possibly in some way derail God's plan. He would love if he could possibly, he would love to if he could possibly in some way upset God's apple cart and he can't. And even when it appears that he has upset God's apple cart, it was God's plan all along that 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 particular apple cart got tipped over. And from that, God gets his glory. And from that, the reign of Jesus Christ is extended and expanded throughout the nations, throughout the peoples. To be the devil himself is to be condemned to an eternity of frustrated hatred, a desire for vengeance that will never be fulfilled. That which he thought was his greatest victory The death of the Son of God upon the cross was actually his greatest defeat. It only took three days for that to be revealed. It only took three days for that to be revealed. He cannot win. He will not win. He is condemned already. Jesus reigns. Let's just have a look at a couple of verses. Stay at Psalm 2. Starting from verse 1 of Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed Messiah, Jesus himself. We know this from the book of Acts. Saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. God finds it amusing that world rulers think they rule. God finds it amusing that world rulers think they can damage his church. God finds it amusing that world rulers think that they can in some way or other defy him. God finds it Amusing. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. The Lord Jesus, King Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, the king who reigns and rules. I will tell of the decree, verse 7 of Psalm 2. The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. The Lord Jesus rules and reigns and the nations are his heritage. And concerning those who rebel, concerning those who hate, Well, consider what God said to Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. For this very reason, I have raised you up, that I may get glory from bringing you down. The Lord Jesus will break them with a rod of iron and he will dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Sooner or later, for some it will be sooner, for some it will be later. His enemies will be smashed into pieces. And though at the moment they think they rule and though at the moment they run around boasting, no law applies to us, we're completely unrestrained, we can do as we please. My friends, don't worry about it. All they're doing is preparing their own graves. All they're doing is loading up their own judgment. All they're doing is becoming ever greater vessels for the revealing of God's glorious wrath and judgment. The Lord Jesus will smash them to pieces. We'll see some of it in this life. There is obviously judgment to come on the final day. But even in this life, my friends, you have reason to hope that you will see the Lord Jesus bring his enemies down now. You will see him smash some of them to pieces now. Things can change in the blink of an eye. Think of how much ground a Hitler covered and the Lord Jesus smashed him to pieces. 
Think of Stalin, ruled for years and years, vicious, cruel, evil dictator. Death got him in the end. He can and will smash them to pieces. And so we get the warning. Therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Amen. And we are those who have taken refuge in him. And we are therefore blessed. The king views us with favour. He loves us. We're his people. He owns us. In the very throne room of heaven, he owns us. The voice that cannot be denied, the voice through which all of creation was called into being, that voice says, those people, they are mine. I've purchased them with my blood and they are blessed. So my friends, I tell you, smile at the world around you. Thank God for his many blessings and do not fear. Jesus rules, Jesus reigns. If um, I have another verse to go to, I'll simply read it to you. I think I've said all that needs to be said. But if you're wondering, does it say somewhere specifically in the scripture that Jesus rules and reigns right now? And my answer would be to you, yes, it certainly does. If I turned to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and read to you verse 25, you would read there and it's said in the present tense, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, he must reign. He reigns now. He will continue to reign throughout 2022. My second point of what we could expect to see in 2022 is that we will see evil people go from bad to worse. Evil people will go from bad to worse. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll start reading at verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men." You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. If ever you've wondered, has uh, evil reached its fullest expression? Well, the answer is that it's just this continuous cycle of decline. This continuous cycle of people being given over to their sins, of people being, as it were, put under ever increasingly heavy chains in their slavery to their sin. We won't turn to the book of Romans, but think of the book of Romans in chapter one, where the Apostle Paul describes that process of people being given over. They would not acknowledge the truth about God, though all of creation told it to them. Therefore, they worshipped idols. They were given over to unclean lusts. Therefore, they became sexually unclean. Then their minds were given over to complete corruption and almost every form of evil you could possibly imagine became a part of their daily lives. Given over, given over, given over. 
My friends, evil people will go from bad to worse. And notice that they are deceiving and being deceived. They are liars. They are being deceived and they continue in the deception. We've got to face up to the fact it's actually good news, not bad news. We've got to face up to the fact that there is no neutral ground. There's no nice, safe, easy place in the middle, as it were. No dead man's land between the trenches. There's no, think of it this way, there's no nations that haven't declared their allegiance. There are only two nations. There are the sons of Adam and there are the sons of Christ. That's it. That's the two nations. The sons of Adam and the sons of Christ. There is no in-between. There is no neutrality. Now, sometimes we wish there was neutrality. I'll be honest. I confess that sometimes I wish there was neutrality, that there was a place where I could meet with the enemies and speak to them on level ground, but you can't. It's actually, in a way, it's a form of cowardice. We wish that the conflict was not always around us and before us and in our faces. But remember way back in Genesis, we were told that there would be enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Once again, that's another way to describe the two nations. The seed of the serpent, all who follow after the teachings of the deceiver. The seed of the woman, all who put their faith in the saviour who would be born of a woman. Two nations, warfare. The evil will continue in their evil and they won't be slightly less evil. They will continue in their wickedness. Turn also to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll pick it up at verse 8. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because, hear this, they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. Remember in Second Timothy, deceived and deceiving. Scott, you might say to me, you're a Calvinist. I thought you didn't believe in free will. Answer, I believe in free will. People freely choose whatever they desire according to their nature. People freely choose whatever they desire according to their nature, according to their heart, according to their strongest inclination. That means that the unregenerate heart, the heart that is in Adam, the heart that is in, of the seed of the serpent, can only choose according to that nature. It can freely choose according to that nature, but it can only choose according to that nature. Other choices are not available. That's Calvinist doctrine. And so here we have these people, the seed of the serpent, refusing to love the truth and so be saved. It's within their nature. It is within the nature of the fallen and the wicked to refuse to give glory to God. It is within the nature of the fallen and the wicked to refuse to receive the truth. It is within the nature of the fallen and the wicked to refuse the command to repent and seek forgiveness in Jesus' name. They choose, therefore to refuse to love the truth and so be saved. And things from that moment on get worse for them, not better. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. Deceiving and deceived was what we heard in Second Timothy. In order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. What's being said there is that that, that heart... That wickedness, it's going to be revealed. Why does God send them a strong delusion? Why do they go deeper and deeper into sin? Why do they go from bad to worse? 
Because God wants us to understand exactly why it is that he hates and judges sin. He gets glory from his goodness and his righteous judgment. His judgment begins now. All who refuse to receive the Saviour deepen, strengthen, increase their condemnation. And so the reign of Jesus continues. Evil people go from bad to worse. And from this, our great King, our Saviour and God, our Lord Jesus Christ, gets glory. Remember, nothing that is done is outside of his ordained rule. Third point. Third point. Antichrists will continue their work on earth. They will continue. Um, We're going to go to 1 John, the epistle of 1 John. Now, it's really interesting. The word antichrist is thrown around an awful lot. And if I said to you, the antichrist, I'm thinking that probably you would imagine a ruler with political power, a leader of armies, a persecutor, an oppressor, an invader, a Hitler, a Stalin, a Napoleon, some such person. But the only times that the word gets used in Scripture, it's describing something very specific. In Scripture, an Antichrist is a false teacher who has access to churches an imposter who denies the doctrine of the apostles. That's an antichrist. Let's have a look at the uh, uses of the word. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. Now let me stop and just remind you. The last hour, the last days, the end times, they began when Jesus ascended into heaven. We're not going to turn to that passage in the book of Acts, but that's when they began. And ever since has been that time. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are that they all are not of us. Stop. These people that he's calling antichrists, what are they? They are people who went out from the teaching of the apostles. They went out from us, but they were not of us. They were in the churches. They appeared to be believers. They appeared to be teachers. They appeared to be trustworthy. They went out. They went out from under the authority of the apostles. He's not necessarily saying they geographically removed themselves from a certain situation where a church might meet. He means they went out from under godly authority. They went out from the camp or the holy place, as it were. They went out from under the teaching of the word because they themselves sought to be teachers. They went out from us. Let's look at another passage. 1 John chapter 4, verse 3. 1 John chapter 4. Start reading 1 John chapter 4 at verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. Okay, this is the doctrine of the apostles. This is what the apostle John taught in John chapter 1. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus, he means here the truth about Jesus that the apostles have been teaching. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Turn to the next use of the word in Scripture, 2 John, verse 7. 
2 John, verse 7. We'll start reading at verse 4, 2 John, verse 4. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Okay, the epistles of the Apostle John are dealing specifically with a particular heresy, which probably is a form of desceticism or Gnosticism. Big words, what does it mean? They basically denied that one who is truly God could also become truly flesh because there was a um, branch of Greek philosophy that considered all physical things to be evil, including bodies, flesh, skin, everything physical was evil. And the only aim of life was to escape from the physical. So... If, you, if you're deeply embedded into that kind of philosophy and someone comes along to you and says, Jesus, the Son of God, the Word, became incarnate or took upon himself flesh, to you that's a revolting and difficult thing to understand. For all flesh, according to your preconceived philosophy, is evil and wicked. And so they denied that Jesus truly did take upon himself flesh. And they came up with all sorts of ideas. Jesus was a spirit being and everything about him appeared to be flesh, though it wasn't really flesh. It, it gave every possible appearance of flesh, but it wasn't really flesh, etc., etc. Very early in the church, these lies started to be taught. The Apostle John, dealing specifically with these lies, calls those who teach them antichrists. That's the use of the word. Now, I would say to you that what we have here is the first example and a way that we must understand all future false teachings. Any teaching that denies the very scriptures, the gospels, the teaching of the apostles, any teaching that is falsified by the teaching of the apostles is antichrist teaching. It's the teaching of an antichrist. So I say to you, that in 2022, antichrists will continue their teaching work upon the earth. The Pope is an antichrist. I'm not afraid to say it. I truly believe it. False teachers who teach stupid lies about Jesus are antichrists. Those who claim that there is more revelation than we have received in the scriptures and God's commandments have been changed. That that which was once an abomination is now no longer an abomination according to the deeper revelation of the Holy Spirit. They are antichrists. False teachers will continue in the world and they will have access to churches. And they will have access to people who are both saved and unsaved and yet are sitting under that teaching. They will have that access through the internet. They will have that access through pulpits. They will write books, etc., etc. Antichrists will continue their work on earth. What must we do? Lay out the truth. You want to show that someone is using a crooked stick? Lay out a straight stick. What is, the, what is the best enemy of lies and false teaching? Truth. We preach the gospel. We stick to the gospel. We cling to the gospel. Always understand this. When you hear of falling away, when you hear of apostasies, when you hear of people falling into sin, false doctrine, etc., etc. Once again, not going through the scriptures to bring all this out, but I'll tell you, you find it in Haggai and Hebrews if you want to look it up. God speaks of shaking. He speaks of shaking. Shaking everything. 
church included. Here's why. You've got a foundation, okay? That foundation is the teaching of the apostles, according to the scriptures. And everything that God builds through his servants is built on that foundation and that foundation alone. There are people who don't want to build on that foundation, but they are able to make bricks that appear to be exactly the same as God's bricks. They look to be exactly the same as God's bricks. They look to be using exactly the same building materials as God's materials. And they're not building on the foundation, but if you want to think of it this way, they're building hard up against the walls of the church. They're building them, building them, building them. Oh, look, they say, we're doubling the size of the church. The church is getting ever bigger, ever larger. We're building, building, building. When God shakes his bricks on his foundation, they stay on his foundation. The bricks that the false teachers have laid, splat, down they go, onto the ground. You know, Jesus spoke about building a house upon the rock and building a house upon the sand. Same idea. Antichrist will continue their work on earth. Even so, my friends, the Lord Jesus reigns and Jesus uses them to actually purify his church. I do honestly believe that anybody who is truly saved and indwelt by God's Holy Spirit can only be deceived by false teaching for a short while. I'm not saying it's impossible that they could be fooled for a little while. But I'm saying that God, by his power, through the work of his spirit, will will draw them back into the truth each and every time. They will not be lost. True believers do not follow antichrists. Fourth point, 2022. What will happen in 2022 according to the Bible? The gospel will continue its victorious progress. The gospel will continue its victorious progress. You've got to understand something when you talk about the gospel and whether or not the gospel is victorious. It is always victorious under all circumstances. I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to read there from verse 14. Actually, we'll start at verse 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, start at verse 12. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? Think carefully about what he has just said. He speaks of being led in a triumphal procession. A triumph. A triumphal procession. Procession is a victory march. Paul lives under the rule or the dominion of the Roman Empire. A Roman general at war on behalf of Rome against some foreign power gets a great victory. What does he do? Well, he lets it be known that he's had a great victory and the powers that be in Rome grant to him a triumph. What's triumph? You might think a triumph is literally a victory. Well, in modern usage, that's what it is. But the triumph was the victory march through the centre of Rome, showing some of your captives, showing some of your booty, marching through the middle of the city. That was your triumph. The triumphal procession was your army and your captives marching behind you. Christ always leads us in a triumphal procession. Christ is leading us, as it were, as a column through the middle of the city. He's marching at the front. 
He's leading us through. And guess what? Something happens as this triumphal procession continues. Some people are brought to life and some people are sent to death. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, now he's speaking of those who perish, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? The preaching of the gospel is Christ triumphing over the earth. It is his triumphal procession. We're in that procession, my friends. Now, some of you, you know, you might think that at times I smell. (laughs) And, you know, sometimes when a person smells, you want to back away from them. Well, to those who are perishing, to those who are not called, that's what we are. People want to back away from us. The proclamation of the gospel is killing them. It's putting them to death. It's confirming them in their sins. And this is the triumphal march of the gospel. And others are being called to life, being called to salvation, being called to faith and repentance. And this is the triumphal procession of the gospel of Christ. The gospel will continue its victorious progress. Turn to John chapter 15. Now, in the verse I'm about to read, John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus is speaking specifically to the apostles. Remember, the apostles through whom God laid the foundation for his church. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. Speaking specifically to the apostles, the apostles, he is saying, have been elected. And I don't want to argue about all of that stuff at this moment. I want to look at the idea of they have been elected and appointed to bear fruit that will abide. The impact of the teaching of the apostles is that that teaching will bear fruit that will abide. The victorious procession of the triumphal gospel. The fruit of the gospel abides. My friends rejoice. The gospel continues its victorious progress. And when we see people harden their hearts against the gospel and condemn themselves to death and be handed over to even deep, greater depths of depravity, don't be discouraged. That's what we would expect from a close study of the scriptures. That's the triumph of the gospel. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Saviour. Jesus is King of Kings. Jesus rules and reigns. You don't defy that kind of person without some kind of penalty. Children don't defy their father without some kind of penalty. God rules, runs and owns the world. Jesus is his beloved son, only begotten son, one of a kind son, eternally begotten. God himself who took upon himself flesh. You do not deny that person without facing the consequence of your denial. The gospel is victorious. Therefore, we should be emboldened and proclaim it. Fifth point, final point. Christ will continue to build his church in 2022. Matthew chapter 16. Starting at verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Once again, there are so many little byroads I could go here, go down here and argue about. We could point out that the Pope does not hold the keys of Peter, that that is a foolish interpretation and application of the text. But I just want to draw your words to um, one particular phrase in verse 18. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In 2022, the Lord Jesus Christ will continue building his church and he will continue up until the day of his return. Up until the end of this present evil age, he will build his church. He is at this moment building his church. My friends, we should be actually optimistic. And sometimes we're not, I confess. We should be actually optimistic. Now, I don't mean foolishly optimistic. I'm not optimistic that no tropical cyclone will ever blow in over the coast of Queensland again. I'm not optimistic that an aircraft will not crash and kill hundreds of people. I'm not optimistic that there won't be car accidents or bushfires or whatever it might be. I'm not talking about that. Here's my optimism, that the Lord Jesus Christ rules and reigns, that he will bring this present evil age to an end and that he will enact judgment upon each and every sinner. All of the wickedness that we see and are troubled by will be brought to its rightful end and all those who commit that wickedness will be brought to their rightful end. And there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And there, people like you and I will behold the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you would almost think that would be enough. And in many ways, it would be enough. But God has said there's more. There's even more. He's gracious and he's generous. We should be a people who are optimistic. In the end, we will come to a good end. We're not on the wrong side of history. The world does not own us. Our conscience is not enslaved by their ordinances and their decrees. We're God's people. We're indwelt by God's Holy Spirit. We live according to God's word and it is sufficient. For now and for all of eternity. For now and for all of eternity, my friends. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's a simple little song. It's so true. It's so true. Evil will go from bad to worse. Antichrist will continue their false teaching work upon the face of the earth. But Christ will build his church. He will build his church. He will call his elect. He will have his redeemed. He will have his beloved. He will not fail. He cannot fail. He's God, the eternally begotten son of God. He's got all the power of the Godhead being, as it were, exercised through his righteous scepter. My friends, times are good. Times are good. Overall, in the big picture of things, times are good. Might there be troubles? There may well be. Is Australia under judgment? I think so. But I'm telling you, times are good. Times are good. Because we know that Jesus is Lord. We know that he's risen from the dead. We know that he's our saviour. We know that our eternity is with him. We know that we must in the end celebrate victory. And the truth is that the struggle and the warfare will only make that celebration all the sweeter, all the more enjoyable. Have you ever gotten something and it came to you too easily? Remember, we're human. Have you ever gotten something and it came to you too easily? 
and you didn't put enough value on it. But what about the thing that you managed to work for and to save for, that you planned, that you paid it off? The thing that you got because God blessed your labours? What about that thing? It's all the sweeter. It means all the more to you. My friends, our victory will be all the sweeter as we see our enemies destroyed by the power of God. His glory in our eyes will be all the greater as we see his power and his righteousness in judgment. Our love for the Lord Jesus will be all the stronger, all the more consuming when we see the things that he has planned for us. Though we've struggled through this life, this mortal life. My friends, what does the Bible say about 2022? It says Christians rejoice. Go out, preach the gospel. He will be with us even unto the end of the age. Do not be afraid. Do not be ashamed. Do not, do not ascribe to those who rule this world the powers of God, for they do not have such power. They do not. And if they have any authority, they have it because God has given it to them. And if they misuse that authority, God will take it away from them and he will impose upon them the just penalty. Sooner or later, the rebels will be smashed in pieces like a potter's vessel. And the righteous shall dwell in peace. That's the promise of God, and it will unfold before us over the coming 12 months. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, I do thank you for your grace and your mercy and for the good news of the gospel. And I thank you, Father, that you have filled our hearts with hope through Jesus Christ our Lord by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray, Father, that we would go forth into this coming year rejoicing in your goodness and in your mercy. I pray, Father, that we would be emboldened to preach the gospel at every opportunity, in good season and in bad. Father, I pray that you would help us to be a light upon the hill. I pray, Father, that we, that we would be filled with the joy of the Lord and the peace that surpasses all understanding. And these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.